All right, it's Wednesday, December 30th, 2020. This is Messiah Matters number 327 for the second time. Uh, yeah, it is the second time, and those who were not here the first time will have no clue what we're talking about. My name is Caleb Haig. And like I said, the first time, if you didn't hear it, I think at some point it'd be great if we had our own band. And like like the Tonight Show. Okay, somebody send us $100,000 and we'll, we'll get our own band. With the smoke and horn section. You got, you got to bring your mic closer, man. I'm sorry. With a, I, smo- with a smoke and horn section and a nice bass. Slapping the bass. Slapping the bass. Hey, man. <laughs> All right. So hopefully our is our audio caught up with our... with Good. Okay, we got a thumbs up from, from uh, our, happy. one of our administrators. All right. Nice. Good. Very well, nice. let's jump into it because you know what? We've taken a lot of time. Um, and for some yeah. reason, all sorts of stuff is going wrong today because my producer credit, we have new producers. There's a new producer credit up. Please go check out the new mug. It is the inaugural 2021 oh, check it. mug for all of you. So go ahead and uh, check that out. Uh, we have a couple producers already signed up and uh uh, yeah, the, but just yes. To I know that the intro music is long. We I made it extra long this time so that there's not an, a minute long countdown before before we start any music. And one of the benefits to watching this show on YouTube is that you get to hear that that intro. You don't hear that on the podcast anymore. Give us a call two five three four six five thirty two zero five. It's 253-465-3205. I wish we had a jingle for that. 253-465-3205. It's something like that. Anyway, okay. Um, so give us a call. It's a comment line. You don't talk to us. You just talk to an answer machine. Thank you, Matt from Michigan, the third host of the show. He called in this morning. I did not have time to clip it. Uh, so our third host will be back next week to bring another interesting question. And, I, you know, Matt... I don't have your email address. Send me a picture of yourself so that when we play you, we can bring a picture of our third host up onto the uh, onto the screen because that would be fantastic. Uh, thank you to all, all the people who have volunteered to help us with the show. In the next week, I will uh, put together different uh, different assignments for people. We are super pumped to get this uh, show a little bit more professional. In fact, we're looking at uh, getting show notes for all of the shows and all of the backlogged shows as well. Uh, that will be, uh, that would be great. Lee in the, in the chat room says, uh, I'll volunteer to be in the band. Yep. We already got volunteers. Okay. And, uh, send us email, chagatorresource.com, chagatorresource.com. Mr. Hackett, I've been praying for you, by the way. Uh, don't forget that, uh, this show is brought to you by torahresource.com. Torah Resource is your place to find all sorts of free things that, uh, you can study the Bible with articles, videos, audio, Bible studies. Uh, we got a school and we have uh, all sorts of stuff. And uh, little known fact to most people, for $100 a year, you can have you can get a library membership at TorahResource.com. You can have access to the entire digital catalog for $100. I'm, I'm no joke right there. Um, okay. And don't forget to subscribe to Messiah Matters because believe it or not, that actually is probably one of the bigger helps. I do want to say this to our producers and to our uh, supporters. We thank you very much. We will have a video up for you by end of day tomorrow, which is Thursday. With all of that said, let's jump in. We have so much to talk about. It's unbelievable. I love it when we have this much to talk about because it tells me that we can we could do two shows right now and still probably not be all the way through our, our notes. I want to go to Corey Percapis 
student at TorahResource.com. Torah Resource Institute, that is. Uh, Corey writes and he says, I would imagine you guys have probably been asked this question on the show before. In Deuteronomy 7.25 through 26, it says, and he's reading from the ESV, the carved images of their gods you shall burn with fire. You shall not covet the silver or the gold that is on them or take it for yourselves lest you be ensnared by it. For it is an abomination to the Lord your God, and you shall not bring an abomination, an abominable thing into your house and become devoted to destruction like it. You shall utterly detest and abhor it, for it is devoted to destruction. End quote of the Bible. Continue quote of court. Does this mean that we should not have pictures of idols or documents dedicated to idols in our houses too? For instance, commentaries or archaeological books that have pictures of Canaanite idols or even certain ancient documents pertaining to the worship of idols. How do we go about keeping this commandment? Thank you. I wish that uh, my eight-year-old son Ben was on the show right now because he could tell you all about this. We've been studying the various commandments. We had a lively discussion the other night about uh, creating images and having images in your home. Uh, And Ben decided... I'm going to plug this before it's even a thing. Ben said, I want to record these and then put them up on lines because I think other kids would, would be able to learn about this stuff too. And I said, all right, man, not a problem. So it won't be long and probably on growing in Messiah. You'll see, uh, you'll see Ben and me studying different commandments. Anyway, back to Corey's. That's awesome. That's it, awesome. It's pretty I'm good. I'm looking forward to that. <laughs> um, so back to, uh, Corey's question. What do you think, Rob? I have my own my own thoughts on this. Yeah, because it it puts me. I think about my library. You know, because <laughs> right. I've got a big library. You've got a big library. You you live in a library, or you work in one anyway, basically. Um, and in that library, we have a lot of extra biblical stuff. You know, like ancient Near East history, uh, comparative religion, um you know, stuff about ancient Canaanites, uh, archaeology, you know, the kind of the stuff that Corey's getting at in his email. And so certainly there's going to be either drawings or pictures of artifacts found. Temples, temples, archaeological digs of the, of the Egyptian temples. And he temples. mentioned texts also. He mentioned like tech translations of like, you know, there's like what the Egyptian, ancient book, Egyptian of the de- yeah, book of the dead, book or, of the dead. Or, right. or the Canaanite you know, the Baal about Baal and, and, and stuff like that, that in some cases were religious texts or had what we would, even though they didn't use the word religion back then, they were part of a, maybe a magical worldview, what we call like uh, magical or, uh, you know, well, paganism, idolatry, you know, whatever we want to call it. Uh, so it's a really good question. My viewpoint with respect to what I have is that it's under the kind of the umbrella of historical research. And, and so that frame for me is like a container, you know, it, it, it's, it would be weird. It's not like I have like a Wicca manual, you know what I mean? Like that would be different. Like if, you know, even, <laughs> even in like the spells and potions <laughs> book, please. No, but I do have, for example, I, I have like kind of a compared Now, this is all theoretical because all my boxes are, or all my books are in boxes right now for the most part. But I have like a Book of Mormon, right? I have a couple different English versions of the Quran. I have, 
you know, stuff from the comparative, and I have a, a category of my library that I call, quote, comparative religion or world religion. Rob's got a huge plaque over it that says heretical, do not read. <laughs> do not enter. <laughs> do not, yeah. And so, um, yeah, you know, and so the, the thing is there, I, I, I don't have... I, I don't have like a, like I mentioned a Wicca manual or anything that would be too far for me. Like, I don't even want that in my house. Let, uh, that would not even fit into my comparative religion department. Yeah. See, so, so, for me so how do you, how do you divide that up? I, I, I guess in a way, Corey's question forces me to kind of think about that in these, in these like boxes, uh, containers, like it's history of the ancient near Eastern, you know, ancient near East or, ancient archaeology of temples or ancient artifacts found from Canaan, stuff like that, that is not any way related. It's, it's demarcated off from my love of God and my, my devotional life. So Lee, Lee has a poss- possibly the question of the day in the chat room. He says, is the Zohar different from the witchcraft book? I have, I have the Zohar. I have multiple trans. I mean, I have the the Sulam. I have the. I mean, <coughs> I have. Well, but see that I have in my in my just Jewish history. So I have I have a lot of like printed Talmuds and Mishnah and uh, Midrashim and uh, into the medieval, you know, Kabbalah literature. And so again, that's that's in a box that is for understanding another culture. Yeah, so I I mean, I did a a significant amount of work on Mormonism when I was uh, getting ready to, uh, when I was getting ready to uh, go evangelize Mormons. And so I have a significant amount of books, you know, uh, that with regard to Mormon, the Mormon religion. Uh, Our office has the Egyptian Book of the Dead in it um, purely for, um, research, you know, and to be sure. able well, to... Well, not only that, I know that I think you have the whole context of Scripture multi-volume set, which has that as well as other stuff. Right. So this is a really good question. And like but, I said, I have some uh, Islamic commentary too, like stuff that's Islamic, what you call Islamic, like Sufi mysticism and stuff like that. Based and, on that. I, still and, need to, uh, I need to pull you up. Hang on. You're... you're you know what? It's because I'm backing off. I can move up a little bit. There you go. Good question, Corey. So, I, to, I, so to me, there's, I think there's a difference. Yes, I, I agree uh, with Rob that I think that there's a difference for research purposes. I still, I think that we still need to be uh, cautious on what we bring into our homes as opposed to what we would leave in a library in a different place. Uh, so, for instance, obviously, I think that uh, a a library, you know, a library is going to have things for research in those areas, uh, witchcraft and things like that, that we would not necessarily want to bring into our home. And I think that that can be uh, the case for Eastern religions, for Islam, for other things as well. Um, I'm not going to frame a picture of Buddha or, you know, put an asherim in a, uh, a picture frame and hang it on my wall. Um, you know, some people have art that I think actually goes to. You're far. not going to have a Madonna and child in, in your garden. Yeah. Made of I mean, like, yeah. And, and, and uh, actually it's interesting because my son and I had the, the conversation of, okay, so what picture is okay to have in your house is a picture of any form allowed in your house. Can we have pictures of our children in our house 
or is that not allowed? Or, you know, and then what about a picture of a Buddha? You know, or it, it, we walked into <laughs> we walked into a Japanese restaurant last night to uh, have some food. They had their Christmas tree, and under their Christmas tree, they had uh, all these offerings to their god. You know, different sushis and whatnot. Like a, like a glazed donut. <laughs> <laughs> it was all sushi. And uh, I saw that once. I saw like a an idol outside a might have been like a Vietnamese restaurant and they'd put like a, like a maple bar. I'm like, I'm like, this is crazy. But the point, and, and then I my think son, I took a picture. my son and I had the question of, okay, if somebody, you know, if somebody has an idol in their house and they're, but they have a really short door, are you allowed to go through their door to get into their house? Cause it'll look like you're bowing to the idol inside the door. And my son and I, my son particularly determined that, no, we would have to turn around and go backwards. So it didn't look like we were bowing to the idol. I said, what if you drop your, your change and, you know, at the Japanese restaurant, I said, what if you drop your change in front of the, in front of the Christmas tree that has offerings to an idol under it? What do you do then? He said, I'd have to put my back to it and then pick it up. (laughs) Oh, it's, it's a great question. Okay. Let's move on. (laughs) <laughs> I love it. That's awesome. Okay. This was a conversation that I had uh, the other day. I should probably bring this entire conversation up onto um, onto the screen so that I can read the whole thing because it actually was kind of important. Let's see here if I can find any of them. <clears throat> Give me just one second. Here we go. Okay. Uh, you might hear something real quick. Uh, let's see here. Oh, I think I might actually just be able to see it here. Okay. Um, this person, Michael E., said, wow, 4437. This was in regard to our last show, show number 326, filled with the Holy Spirit. He says, wow, at 4437, now we have Isaac and John the Baptist saved before Jesus sheds a drop of blood for the new covenant that saves. I, that's an odd thing to say, but okay. Yes, I understand what he's saying, and I, I would yeah, agree. It's, that's the paradox of the yeah. new of the new covenant. He says, "Who needs Jesus to die if God just chooses people and saves them apart from oh the cross?" Goodness. That bla- that's blasphemy. Now, uh, Michael E. and I went back and forth quite a little bit, and uh, this this conversation became very interesting. He says, "Choosing God or rejecting God is not how salvation happens." I said, uh, if you think that Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Moses, or John the Baptist were saved apart from the shed blood of Jesus, you have misunderstood the gospel and the only way of salvation for Jew and Gentile alike. Michael responds and says, you guys, all caps, on okay, said in this video that Isaac was saved before Jesus was even born. That's a complete lie. I said, okay, Christ's blood and the new covenant are not time bound. And this is kind of what I want to talk about right here. For those who uh, are listening and those who might be in the chat room, I want to kind of hash out uh, this idea that the, that the new covenant and Christ's blood is not time bound. Uh, he goes, I, I go on, I said it is a Catholic theological myth that the p- patriarchs had to spend time in some waiting room until Christ physically died on the cross. Abraham believed God. And it was counted to him as righteousness. It doesn't say Abraham believed God and it was eventually counted to him as righteousness when Christ came and died on the cross. We will talk about this on our next show. Okay. And I said, I think you're missing a piece of the puzzle. 
He said, your theology is the one missing something. Why do you think the resurrection and judgment happens? And this is an interesting question because does he think that he's saved right now? Do, like, is anyone saved until the judgment? Uh, maybe another uh, rabbit trail. But anyway, he says, your theology is erasing it even being necessary as well as the cross itself. It's blasphemy. So he continues to say it's blasphemy, but okay. Um, I said, I'm not sure what you're talking about. We believe that Christ's blood transcends time and is sufficient in both directions. You are the one limiting it to only cover people after the death of Christ. How is it that you think Abraham was counted as righteous? Now, this is where it gets really interesting. Really interesting. It's not interesting yet. It's okay. not interesting yet. This is where <laughs> or it's not really interesting. It's okay. a little woohoo. Let me take a sip of water. Michael E. then says, Christ's blood transcends time, question mark, so people can be saved before Jesus was even sent. And yes, that is what I'm saying. He says, that's ludicrous. Salvation doesn't happen until the resurrection and judgment. So if it doesn't happen until the judgment, then we're not saved right now. We have no assurance yeah, of salvation. Yeah. Yeah. He oh hang on just a sec. This okay. this is this is this is the really interesting part. He says Abraham's faith was not in the death and resurrection of Christ. He was not in the new covenant. And that's where I think it, it gets very interesting. Okay. Go ahead, yeah. Rob. He, he can have his opinion. <laughs> <laughs> why agree. are you watching our show? Why are you watching our show? <laughs> um so I, it, Abraham, Yeshua said, Abraham longed to see my day, and he saw. He rejoiced, I think it says. He rejoiced to, to see, see my, my day. day, and he saw it, right? So what is yeah, that? Mean? What, so that's, what you, that's Yeshua testifying of the faith of Abraham. Moses and Elijah appear to Yeshua to talk to him about his upcoming yeah. Exodus, uh, up, what's coming up here in Jerusalem? This is really Moses. This is really Elijah speaking with really Yeshua, talking to Yeshua about what he's going to accomplish. Right. They're part of it. They're in on it. This is, the, I, I don't know what this well, guy. Well, okay, so, so this comes back to kind of our, our, our conversation that we had on dispensationalism. By the way, we got a lot of comments on dispensationalism. We'll talk about these in a few minutes. But ultimately, and people have said that the, the arguments that we brought up for dispensationalism were straw man arguments. Okay, and we'll, we'll talk about that. But um, the, maybe this doesn't relate necessarily to dispensationalism, but the question that I'd have for Michael E. is, okay, if Abraham wasn't saved by faith in a coming Messiah that would deal with sin and take care of the sin problem, in other words, the seed that's that's promised to Eve, the seed that is... Uh, yeah, no doubt. You know, the, the seed that's pro, pro, promised to Abraham. If he didn't I, I have... He needs, he needs to take the Messiah in the Tanakh class. But if he didn't have, if he didn't have uh, faith in, in, in those things then what faith did he have that saved him, that made him righteous before God? And actually, this is where Michael E. is probably going to get a little bit upset because I think that that kind of theology actually erases the need for Christ. And here's the reason why. If you believe that Abraham was not saved by faith in the coming Messiah who would deal with the, with the sin problem and would crush the head of the serpent, if that's not what saved Abraham, then the question is, what did save Abraham? What faith did he have that did save him? And whatever that faith was, why didn't God just make it so that people continue to have that faith and be saved and not have to send his son to die on the cross? It doesn't make any sense. 
I think that we're also dealing perhaps with a uh, with a little bit of this idea that no one is saved until the judgment happens. And that means that we're not saved right now. In other words, we don't have salvation. It's kind right. Of, and so here, can I say something too? Yeah, of course. I, I have two things. And sorry to interrupt. It's just my my brain is blowing up here. Uh, Michael E. Is it? Yes. Right? Michael E. Doesn't understand a very important Hebrew word that Paul teaches us, even in the Greek. It's called arabon. Arabon, that the ruach hakodesh or the Holy Spirit is our arabon. It's a it's a seal. It is the it is our surety that of our justification. And there's an important term called in a concept theologically called inaugurated eschatology. Our the faith of the elect, no matter where they are on the timeline, is can be described as an inaugurated eschatology. That means it's the it's the work of the uh, the completed work of Yeshua on the cross applied to to the redemption price of that particular soul that anticipates their clean, full vindication and righteousness at the judgment. Even though in historical time, from the perspective of historical time, that judgment has not happened yet. Right. It's as good as happened. And that's the, that's the theological import when Paul talks about, describes the Ruach HaKodesh as an Arabon. Now, one other verse I had to read when in the Gospel of John, chapter 12, he's talking about those who are seeing Yeshua's signs. They're seeing all his miracles, but they're not believing. What, is he, what does John tell us? He says, this is to fulfill the world, word of Isaiah the prophet. When he spoke, he doesn't even say when he wrote, he's when he spoke, Lord, who has believed our report? To whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Isaiah 53. And then he says, for this reason, they could not believe. That means they could not choose. <laughs> they couldn't choose God if they wanted to. For Isaiah again said, and then he quotes from Isaiah 6, he has blinded their eyes, he has hardened their hearts so that they would not see with their eyes and perceive with their heart and be converted and I heal them. These things Isaiah said because he saw his glory and he spoke of him. John 12, 41. So if you want to argue with, so, so we have testimony from Yeshua that Abraham rejoiced. Abraham learned of the resurrection <clears throat> partially through the Akidah. We learned that from Hebrews. Right. We learn in chapter 12 that the gospel, the, John the evangelist himself is telling us, first century Jew, telling us that Isaiah saw Yeshua's glory and wrote about it, and was, in Isaiah 53, was by the Holy Spirit revealing that that salvation would be, or, or uh, that faith would be withheld, that God would blind hearts and actually prevent people from having faith. That's, that's I know that's a big, meaty theological concept, because people don't want to say, you know, they, they, they're afraid there's that Somehow that means implicates God as being unjust. Well, I think I think that uh, that Michael. But it's not. He says, "Who has believed our report?" The meaning: the report is in the world. Right. The gospel is in the world. To whom has the arm of been uh, the arm of the Lord been revealed? I think that uh, Michael's uh, 
responses here. Although I don't hear them very much in my circles. I think that uh, this is kind of a, a larger theological belief than we want to admit. In other words, I think that uh, some of what we have going on in Michael's comments is a general misunderstanding. And I don't know if this comes from a dispensational view. I don't know if this comes from just plain uh, misunderstanding. How, I've got it, one more. Okay, hang on just a sec. The, the, the last thing I want to say, and I'll, I'll punt it back to you, is, is that um, there's only one way of salvation. There's only one way of salvation, and that is through Christ, and that's through the blood of Christ. And so if we want to say that Abraham, Isaac, or Jacob— Who is God in the flesh. Who is God in the right? flesh. It's not like a different God. It's not like— Yeah. And so, and so if, you want, if you want to say that Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, Moses, David, all these guys were saved a different way besides faith in Jesus Christ, and the covering and washing clean from the blood that was spilled on the cross— then you are preaching two gospel messages. And that right. is really, really, really theologically wrong. That means that there's another way of salvation outside of Christ and the atoning work on the cross. Yeah, that's right. Here, So here we go. So Romans 3. Now, apart from the Torah, the righteousness of God has been manifested, being witnessed by the Torah and the prophets, even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. It's saying that, so Paul here is just reminding us that the Torah and the prophets bear witness right. to the righteousness of God, and the righteousness of God is revealed fully in the gospel. There's no more, there's, God doesn't have multiple righteousnesses. <laughs> right. The righteousness of God is revealed this way. The gospel of John says, Moses wrote about me. The end of Luke, he Luke tells us about the road to Emmaus. He, he, he went through Moses, David, the prophets. In Acts, Luke tells us about how they, they were citing Psalms. The apostle Peter himself would cite a Psalm of David, say David's by the Holy Spirit is talking about the Messiah. So you've got John, you've got Paul, you've got Peter, you've got Luke. Some of these are their own words by the Spirit. Sometimes they're quoting Yeshua specifically. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know what you want to do with that, Michael E., but if you want to call us blasphemers or blasphemous or whatever, you know, well, find it, you yeah, could find, you know, I don't know. I don't find that, you know, and this is just maybe a, a personal pet peeve of mine. I don't find uh, theological conversation on uh, social media to be of, of much benefit anyway. I think that those kind of conversations ultimately should be done in the church. However, uh, in terms of back and forth and trying to sharpen each other, however, uh, one thing that's definitely not going to help is uh, to, to uh, you know use ad hominem and or to uh, name call. That doesn't, you know, no matter what side of the, the fence we're on, it's really not going to help. And I and um, I will be the first to admit that I have fallen fallen victim to. I shouldn't say fallen victim. I have been the uh, the arbitrator. I've been the one to to offend. Instigator. That's what I'm looking for. Instigator uh, in terms of ad hominem and name calling online, and that's something that um, I learned some very very difficult lessons on. And so, uh, but but I learned those lessons, and uh, now I try very hard not to uh, not to to use those kind of, of arguments. Okay, let's move on. 
Uh, the Crisco Kid has two comments, and I kind of want to do some cleanup here. Um, these are two different comments on two different subjects, but they came in like three weeks apart from each other, and I figured that we should just do them back to back since it's the same person. <clears throat> here we go. Crisco Kid says, honest question, and this has to do with our conversation on two-house theology. Okay, and so we're not going to spend a whole ton. Well, I don't think we're going to spend a whole ton of time on this, but uh, maybe who knows? Uh, and before we uh, do that, don't forget you can you can write us on this. Oh, by the way, one of the ways that uh, we we uh, have conversations here is through I mean through the the comments on YouTube. So if if you disagree with with the uh, with us on this issue, that's totally fine. Um, let us know in the comments. Okay. Uh, the Crisco Kid says, I really appreciate you too, but dot, dot, dot. I know I won't convince you on, oh, I'm sorry. That's the second one. Uh, honest question, he says, sorry. Honest question. Do you agree that just because there are whack jobs surrounding a movement or theology, two house, uh, he puts in, in parentheses, two house, does not disprove its validity or that there are possibly large parts of it that are true? I'm not making an apology for Two House, although I do moderately subscribe to some of the ideas. The same can be true for Reformed theology or any other uh, perspective, uh, right? Just because Luther or others were anti-Semitic to some degree doesn't mean we throw out all their teaching and theology. Okay, I completely agree with with uh, the Crisco kid on this. And uh, I, I would say that there are different uh, people. I mean, he brings up Luther, which is a great, great point. There are many things that Luther said that I completely disagree with, yet there are many things that Luther said that I, I think are spot on. When it comes to two-house theology, I don't, uh, I don't reject two-house theology because there are whack jobs that surround the ideas. I reject two-house theology because I don't think it's correct. What I mean by that is, for instance, in Lamentations, it tells us that Judah is dispersed. Yet within the two house theology, people want to say that Judah is the Judah and the southern tribes are the ones that remain in Israel, and the northern tribes got dispersed. So right there, it, that doesn't make sense to me. Second of all, you have the notion that somehow uh, Judah and and uh, and Israel are separated. It seems like people want to say that that's like we have we know a distinction between Israel and the nations. And third of all, if you just want to say, I, I think that a lot of people have this idea that two-house theology is just this notion that uh, the northern and southern tribes were split because of Israel's sin, and that uh, the tribes, particularly the northern tribes, were lost and scattered among the inhabitants of the world. If that's what you mean by two-house theology, sure, I can jump on board with some of that. I have no problem with that. But that is not what two-house theology is. And so I think that there is a bloodline superiority complex within two-house theology, which I think is clearly not uh, scriptural, especially if we read Ephesians together. Um, and I think that this notion that, uh, you know, the other notion that came with two-house theology that started in the 90s, it came from British Israelism. And this was the idea that anyone who had a uh, love or a... Uh, drawing near to Israel and or the commandments of God are somehow part of the lost tribes of Israel through blood. This I don't believe. And I'm not saying that the Crisco kid who commented believes this either. All I'm saying is, is that you can't separate those two theologies. You can't just all of a sudden say, well, it's 2020 now. And, uh, and now two house just means, uh, that we believe, no, 
There's a reason that it's called two-house theology. There is a theology that goes along with it, and I reject that theology. That's why I reject it, not because uh, there are whack jobs around the movement. Now, if you just want to say that that the two that uh, you know Israel was split into two nations, northern southern tribes, and that the northern tribes were dispersed, okay, I can get behind that a lot more. But that is not two house theology. It's just not. And so, if, you know, ultimately, two house theology goes back to British Israelism, and I think that that is uh, not biblical. That's why I reject it. Rob, anything else before we go to the Crisco Kids second comment? Uh, I I see that first question as kind of apples and oranges. We look at it, and maybe that's kind of what you're getting at, but I would just put it in maybe different terms. I would say that what we pull from the reformers are are doctrinal uh, articulations that stand the test of time with this idea of two house, what you have is a bunch of people who search the internet and come up with different versions of things all the way from Mormonism on one hand before the internet, obviously, but was drawn into thinking that the Indians were tribe, the lost tribes of Israel that had come to America on the, on one extreme, all the way to the, what you're talking about with the British Israel, Israelism, Israelitism or whatever. Um, and then to the new ideas of Christians or, or Ephraim and uh, Jews or Judah, you know, all, all sorts of different examples. And it's, it's all speculative. It's speculative religion. It's no different than Mormonism. That we're not talking about doctrines. Right. And, and so I would just say, Crisco Kid is that who did it? Crisco Kid, if you want to compare with the reformers, what you'd have to do is produce a list of doctrinal statements that represent two house. What what you mean by two house. Yeah, and exactly. then we can evaluate each of those doctrinal statements. Now now but, with, with that said, with that said, uh, David Wilbur sent me a uh, an article months ago and he's asked me probably three or four times to read it. And it's from a uh, someone, I believe at the SBL or the ETS uh, wrote this thing and it's on the lost tribes of Israel and it kind of, you know he's said that it kind of uh, brings new light and new conversation into the idea of two house okay that's fine I, I'm happy to, to look at those kind of things and the and the idea of of you know I, maybe I shouldn't say that <laughs> one of the reasons that I'm I mean honestly, too much spec too much speculation like, I, we yeah. can't build a house on you, you got to build your house on rock Yeshua says that I say that I I just said that I'm happy to look into that. You know, I, I to be honest with you, two house theology does not do anything for you. It has I have zero interest in it. I don't care about the lost tribes of like where the lost tribes of Israel are because God says that He's going to bring them back. So why do I need to worry about that? God knows where they are. You know, this whole idea of oh, where are the lost tribes and all this stuff, it's ridiculous to me. You yeah, got it's, Jews. It's you got sensational. Yeah, you got it, it, to me. It it plugs in with how do you say the name of God, and um, you know what are some of the other things? What should Enoch be in the scriptures or not? You know, uh, yeah, or the, yeah. did the church lie to us about? Uh, yeah, I'm I'm just the not, gospel of Thomas. You know, stuff like that. I mean, no offense to anyone who's really into that stuff, and there needs to be people who are really into that stuff. Um, for sure, there does. But the point is, is that I'm not one of those people. <laughs> I'm much more into like ecclesiology is what my new I'm really getting into ecclesiology right now. And that's one of the things that, you know, really is starting to get my uh, 
my blood pumping. And so that's one of the, you know, that's what I'm working on. Before that, it was uh, meals in the ancient Near East. Now, for some people, that's such a snoozer. Some people are going to say, why in the world would you ever want to study meals in the ancient Near East? I found it to be fascinating, so I studied it. That's fine. You don't need to study it. But, you know, like two-house theology, come on. Why? I don't, I don't, let other people do that. Uh, Lee in the chat room just gave us a super chat. Uh, and he says uh, the KKK has similar doctrine. That is absolutely right. Bloodline superiority ultimately goes down, gets into racism. That's what it is. Lee, thank you very much for the uh, super chat. We do appreciate it. You've been blessed. Let's move on to the Crisco Kids second comment. This is on a totally different subject, so it should be uh, interesting as well. And by the way, these are all great comments. Uh, to the Crisco Kid, uh, that's not to put you down. I, you know, I'm once again, I'm happy that some people are really into the whole two house thing. I'm not. I've never, I've never been inter- like super interested in it. So you know what? Maybe there is new, uh, there's new stuff coming coming around that that uh, is that we could study. But uh, you know, I'll leave that up to other people. So second comment from the Crisco Kid, he says, I really appreciate you too, but I know I won't convince you on free will and you won't convince me on predestination. However, I must say that in your comments regarding the example of Peter, you completely misrepresent the free will view. And that, uh, the Crisco Kid, that may be the case. However, I want to explain a little bit because I think this is a great, this is kind of a great uh, place to kind of clarify some issues. He goes on. No free will apologist would ever agree with the idea that Peter was saved, then unsaved, then saved, then etc. You are raising a straw man. Disagree on the actual argument, not one that no one is making. That's all. No anger. Be blessed. Thank you very much for the comment. And here's uh, here's the only thing that I would say about that. Yes, it may be a straw man argument that I raised. Uh, however, logically, in my view... From a philosophical and a theological, logical view, I think that the uh, the end of it all would be that Peter could lose his salvation. In other words, do you believe that a person that let's start from the beginning? Do you believe that a person can choose? That it's up to a person to choose God or not. If you if you believe in a free will model, you believe that I choose God, right? Okay. Now let's go to the next. One, do most people who believe in a free will model believe that a person can lose their salvation? It is true that there are people who believe in a free will model who believe that once you are saved, that you cannot lose your salvation. However, this is one of the major debates in uh, the remonstrance in in Denmark and and so on and and so forth was whether or not people could lose their salvation. And this becomes kind of a, a battle line that continues to go back and forth on whether or not a person can lose their salvation. Now, Olson, who is like the uh, the Armenian free will apologist of 2020 uh, and and a brother in the Lord, by the way, I fully consider Olson to be a brother in the Lord. I don't know where he stands on whether or not a person can lose their salvation or not. I have his book on uh, defending Arminianism or whatever it is. Um, so uh, but it would be interesting to see his his uh, views on this. But if you believe that a person not only cho- chooses God, from free will, but then can lose their salvation, then does that only apply to some people or does it apply to everyone? And that's kind of my point. In other words, can a person, if you believe a person can lose their salvation, can they choose God, be saved, then reject God, lose their salvation, 
then choose God again. I mean, at what point does it stop? That's kind of my point. I don't believe a person can lose their salvation. And so to me, the idea that a person can lose their salvation, this has to mean that everyone, not just me and you, everyone could lose their salvation. And if that's the case, what about Peter? Was Peter saved in the Garden of Gethsemane, but then when he goes and rejects Yeshua in the in the courtyard when Yeshua is being tried, is he then not saved? And yeah, then I, don't, does, I don't think Peter's a straw man. Now, I don't, the comment didn't clarify what exactly the straw man argument was, nor did the comment clarify what a free, free will apologist would say about Peter. So I don't know that, that Crisco Kid would be able to even articulate those things or if he himself is using smoke screens there because there was no substance. It was just a, but, and I, I mean that in a friendly manner. He didn't go into detail to say, look, this is what a free will apologist would say. <laughs> I mean that in a friendly manner. But, but, here, but my here, French, here's but the you're point. An idiot. <laughs> but right here's the thing point. about Peter. No, I, I'm just, <laughs> about Peter, we'd have to ask a few key questions about Simon Kepha or Shimon Kepha, Peter. Did Yeshua choose him or did he choose Yeshua? Well, the gospels say Yeshua went to him and said, follow me. And he followed him. Okay. Then we have the issue of the denial. Did Peter actually deny Yeshua? Was it a real denial? Did Yeshua not already say, those who deny me, I will deny before the Father? Uh, can I can I interject? Okay, but let me, fin- let me finish. Can I interject? Okay. Let- but Just because you know my brain, it's, it's hard for me to, to put a line of thought together. Go ahead. <laughs> if it was real denial, I, which I believe it was, I think Peter actually denied Yeshua out of fear of man. And he, he, trans, he sinned. It was a sin. But Yeshua knew he was going to do it in advance and said, I've prayed for you. So Yeshua knew Peter was going to sin and said, I'm with you anyway. I've got you. You're mine. And when you're restored, strengthen your brothers, right? So I don't think Peter uh, was ever in danger of losing salvation, even though he denied Yeshua. Yeah, here's the other question is that was Peter predestined to deny Yeshua? Or could he have then not denied Yeshua after Yeshua said, you'll deny me three times? Yeah, did Yeshua make the Yeshua just? Gosh, why did he say that? <laughs> how I can can't he put those? You did that, Peter. I how can he put those words that. in the air? He put those words in the air. Take those words out of the air. Some, somebody words. in the chat room wants to know what your uh, what your cup says. And by the way, uh, oh. the comment the comment that I said to the Crisco to Rob about uh, uh, pardon my that. French, but you're an idiot. That's actually a line from a movie. And Sorry, I don't I'm think that the Crisco kid it. is an idiot, by the way. That, that no, was, I was no, I appreciate that. I deal. was I was making fun of of Rob's. You know, I say that in all love. It sounded like you were making a slam, and then, you know, no offense, but um, the yes, Mountain Goat Coffee, the Mountain Goat Coffee, Packwood, Washington. Packwood, Wa. I've I've been there. They make good coffee, and they have this killer campfire mug. So, there you I had go. to get it. There you go. Okay, so uh, the Crisco kid, uh, we have. Marked that off of our list. But I'm drinking water. Okay. FY and FYI, good old H2O. Okay. Filtered. Um, 
So, <laughs> Onelisa? Onelisa? I don't know. Something like that. Uh, what time is it? Okay, we got time for this. You are, oh, and okay, uh, by the way, we have three, maybe four uh, comments about dispensationalism. I don't know why our videos on dispensationalism all of a sudden are be. I think YouTube is like, has people realized that people who search dispensationalism, they go to our videos, then they, they comment or something. I don't know because people hate them. So, so like, uh, do you hate? Yeah. But the, but the point is, yeah, the point is, is that they, uh, they, they, people have really been commenting a lot on our dispensation video, dispensational videos. And so, okay, that's fine. And just to satisfy everyone who now has that song playing in their head. Why do you hate the Rob and Caleb show? Honestly, I think they're vain, stupid, and incredibly self-centered. Okay, so the comment is this. Ona Lisa says, you're talking about hyper-dispensationalism slash salvific, that's a hard word to say, salvific dispensationalism, not classical dispensationalism, which teaches God deals with people differently in different ages. I acquiesce to this. I actually think there is a good point here. Uh, this person says there is a distinction between the church and Israel. And this is what I disagree with, but we'll keep going. And that it it has always been through grace, through faith that we've been saved and justified. Okay. I agree with that, that it's always been through grace, through faith that we've been justified. There's different types of dispensationalism, which teach some ages have been justified by faith plus works, which as I can agree upon is wrong. God bless you. Have a good day. Okay, so the one I thing... Mean, I don't understand that last statement. So there are certain types or forms of dispensationalism that believe that in one age a person uh, was saved by works, not by oh. justification by faith. Gotcha. However, this person, Onalisa, which I, I do apologize, I don't know if this is a man or a woman, um, uh, is saying that strand of dispensationalism is certainly wrong. How? Uh, okay, and, and I would agree with this. Okay. And I do believe that there's a good point here that we were probably talking, we were moving into the hyper-dispensationalistic view as opposed to traditional dispensationalism, granted. However, one of the problems that I have with traditional dispensationalism is that there is a distinction between the church and Israel in that, and I believe that there is a distinction between, the, between Gentiles and Israel because the Torah makes a distinction, right? Th- that there is the native-born, and the gear that sojourns among you, right? So there is a distinction. I'm not saying that there isn't a distinction. However, the distinction that the modern theological views and dispensation, dispensationalism have come up with have gone way beyond anything that the right. scriptures have ever uh, talked about. It is our view, or my view, I'll talk for myself, it is my view, and I and I believe this. My father has fully convinced me of this. I believe in what is called enlargement theology. And by the way, I got slaughtered on in the comment section by bringing up my, what my dad believed on something, and people were like, "I'm going to believe the rabbis over your daddy." It's like, okay, uh, first of all, what people might not realize this, but my father is the president of Torah Resource that produces this show, and so. A lot of the work that uh, we do 
centers around the, the, uh, a lot of the commentaries and work that my father has created. And so, um, anyway, let's go back to the distinction between Israel and, and the people. My father has convinced me on what is called enlargement theology. This is the notion that, and the belief that God's chosen people are Israel. They are his chosen people because they are, his, they are in covenant relationship with him. Okay, that means that God made a covenant with his people, Israel, and that they have come into covenant with him and now are his covenant people. We, as believers in Jesus Christ, in Yeshua HaMashiach, whatever you want to say, we as believers now come into covenant relationship through Christ, through the Messiah, and we attach ourselves to the people of Israel, to the covenant people, through the covenant through our Messiah, Yeshua. And therefore, we attach... And and the it's, it's Yeshua who holds together the remnant of Israel. In other Absolutely. words, the, the remnant of Israel itself, those branches are held, or the, the branches to the vine or the branches to the olive tree, whichever metaphor, whichever poetry you want to draw on, are unified because they are in Messiah. And Paul talks about a remnant there. And so do the prophets. There's a remnant of, of Israel, of Jews, of bloodline Jews that are covenant members through Yeshua. And we attach ourselves to them in Romans, in Romans 11, it talks about the natural branches being broken off of the covenant. What is that? Those are the Jews who have rejected Yeshua. And now they are taken out of the covenant blessings. Now, my father and I have, have vigorously debated over whether or not that means they're taking, taken out of the land-grant treaty made in Deuteronomy and in Exodus, for that matter, in the Torah, basically. In other words, does physical Israel get broken off from the, the land covenant that is made with Israel, and therefore they do not enjoy the temporal blessings, or do they remain in that covenant and they're broken off of Israel through the new covenant. In other words, they're not in the new covenant because of a rejection of Yeshua. And this is, I mean, this is a really difficult one for me. And it's one that I still am wrestling with. And, and we are still, you know, we're still debating over and whatnot. Um, but ultimately I would say that <clears throat> when it comes down to it, what we see in Romans 11, what we see in the prophets is that God has given promises to Israel. Israel is his covenant people. Gentiles and those from the nations can attach themselves to Israel. That doesn't become Jewish. You don't become a bloodline Jew. You don't become... No, there's still a distinction in that the Gentiles come and now they have to attach themselves in, in Ezekiel. They have to attach themselves to a specific uh, tribe and whatever tribe they attach themselves to in the millennium, it seems to me it's in the millennium time or somewhere. Yeah, uh, in the millennium, uh, they attach themselves to the Gentiles attach themselves to a specific tribe and then they get land rights. And there's no distinction. There shall be one law for you and for the gear that sojourns among you. So the idea, and you you wouldn't believe some of the comments that we've gotten on this. <clears throat> People bring this into two-house theology, uh, two-Torah theology. Here's the way I would put it. The Apostle Paul's identity in Israel 
is no different than my identity through Israel exactly. in that we are both yeah. new creations in Messiah. Now, but he, but Paul, you know, Israel is, he says in Romans nine, not all Israel is Israel. Yes, exactly. Because we have, we have, we, we do have this, this temporary, this world over against the world to come. And we have a, the model of, of Romans 11, where you have a tree that keeps changing what it looks like so that human beings look at that tree and we don't know what the final tree is. And we're not, not all things are revealed to us, right. but God knows what he's doing. And we we're anchored in, in that trust. You know, we're on, we're on the rock of, of his word and the speculation of, Oh, am I, do I need to, become a card carrying member of the tribe of Dan, you know, to make sure I'm, that I have like the right identity or do I need to get my DNA tested? Or, you know, if I'm a, a certain native, you know, American Indian tribe that I can trace that back to some tribe of Israel, you know, I've seen people in each of these, each of these approaches take stock in what they discover or what they imagine they discover. And it's, that's like building your house on sand because that's not that it has nothing to do with what resurrection life in Yeshua is all about. Right. In this, in this world, what we are, even while we're in this flesh awaiting um, what we're going to be when he, when he, you know, is revealed to, and we see him as he is right now, we walk by faith. Um, we, we have to have our sights correctly focused on Yeshua and all these things to me are distractions and they actually prevent people from prioritizing their life according to the commandments. Right. And, but people sell books, boy, do they sell books and, and, you know, all the speculation of end times and what's going to happen and people get anxious which teacher, which end time teacher do I need to listen to? Man, okay. I don't even know. So, okay. So with and, that and that's said, just not fruit of the spirit. But with that said, okay. So I have my, my wife and I have been discussing this quite a bit recently and don't get me wrong. I, I realize that this show is currently being broadcast over YouTube and people will share it on Facebook and all that kind of stuff. I, and I realize that, and I realize that, uh, you know, my, uh, the Lord has sustained my family through the internet. However, I am very much uh, turning to the idea that the internet is the downfall of the church. And this is the reason why. Because what the internet has done for many believers is it's replaced community. It's, re it's replaced the need for the church. And I don't just mean by online service. I, I would say that people, people who are already part of a network, don't, it, it's different. Okay, hang on just a sec. Wait, wait, hang on just a sec. Like, let, let me give you let me give you two examples. Number one, we have people come to to the church that I co-pastor, right? And they come, and every single and this is not a down on these people. I understand, but every single week, it's I was listening to this person online, and they said, or I was listening to a teaching on YouTube, and so in first of all, people are going to the internet for their theological guidance for their theological understanding. And the problem with this is, is that theological understanding should start in the church. It should start in your local community with pastors, elders, and then the sharpening of the community. 
not on the internet and then and then you know not the other way around you don't go to the internet and find a teacher you like and then follow that teacher that's what the church is for we we find uh fake uh community in terms of social media people think that they have this uh this connection with people and that they're being sharpened with people online it's not people act totally different behind a keyboard than they do in in real life i mean all these different things have have basically taken just real small pieces of what a community should be, even people in a community. And I'm so see- I look at it a little different. I think that the word of God is rare in the world. And I uh, my my view is slightly different. Is it that the stuff people getting doing the theological research or if you want to call that on the internet, the ju- those are people diving. who yeah, dumpster diving. Those are people who are already dumpster diving on stuff. I, I kind of look, I have a kind of a different view on it. Um, I think there's always been things in the world that people can get distracted by from doing the hard stuff of community and, and talking about the word of God with other people, which is part of the greatest commandment. The greatest commandment, love God, right? Is the Shema. And it says, and you will speak of them, right? You will talk with them. The idea is that we're we're talking, we're living life, we're talking with other people about what it means to be God's people. Um, but yeah, yeah, it, it is interesting. It's interesting times we live in, that's for sure. Okay. It's been a good show. Listen, I want to tell our supporters and our uh, our producers, we will have a Messiah Matters More video up for you by the end of day tomorrow, which is Thursday the 31st. It's New Year's Eve on the Gregorian calendar. We will try to have a uh, a video up for you, and uh, I don't know what we'll talk about, but we'll talk about something fun. And you want mm. to uh, you want to you want to catch that video. Trust me. Um, we want to thank everyone who not only supports the show, but also people who write and who leave comments. Um, Matt from Michigan, send me a picture through my uh, email. My email address for anyone who wants to write, chagatorresource.com. Our comment line, if you want to leave a comment, 253-465-3205. And then also, uh, you should know that you can leave comments on our YouTube uh, channel, on our videos. And uh, if you do that, I look at every single comment that comes in. And uh, so if you leave a comment, I'll see it. And uh, yeah. Anything else before we go, Rob? It's been a good show. I no, had fun. I echo Did that. You? Th- thank you, everybody. Uh, and yeah, even though even for those like maybe Crisco Kid or Michael E or I don't remember some of the others that maybe are out coming from a different perspective, I still appreciate that because you're you're helping us move the conversation forward. Right. And so even if we end up, you know, for the time being, looking at something differently it still contributes. So I, I do appreciate that. Absolutely. Don't forget to subscribe and uh, like this video. We hope that this conversation has done at least one thing, and that is to glorify our great God and Savior, Yeshua the Messiah. You know why? Because Messiah matters. Messiah matters.